Good morning. You guys doing okay? Good morning. Yes. Sometimes you forget where you are when you do five services. This is the 10 o'clock service. Yes, it's still technically morning. We'll get through this lesson. Don't let that worry that I didn't know uh, what time it was. So um, all you moms out there, yes, it's your day. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the hardest job on planet Earth, and we take one day a year uh, to, to think about it momentarily before we dirty up some more dishes and wreck the house and you have to clean it again, right? So uh, that's fascinating. Um, one does not know how big of a deal being a mom is till, till you, well, I guess unless you're a mom, but when you're married and you have kids and you just see that like it's this never-ending cycle of dirty dishes and constantly keeping up with stuff and uh, moms, you're appreciated. You have the hardest job in the world. So I'm um, glad you guys are here this morning. So we have been working through uh, the Gospel of John. If you've never been here before, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible and word for word, line by line, we've been slowly working through. Um, man, I've taught the Gospel of John several times. I have thoroughly enjoyed going through it again, just studying on my personal time. I hope you're enjoying and going through it with us. Um, we did chapter nine last week and a very, very famous story about a man who was blind from birth in Jesus uh, sees this man, walks over to this man, heals him in a very uh, unique manner by making mud with spit and, and rubs it on his eyes. The guy cleans off his eyes and he can see. And that whole chapter, though, is really not about physical blindness, though. The whole chapter is really a lesson in spiritual blindness. And that if we are to see, not, not literally see, but to, to see spiritually, to see how to navigate life, to see how we are to live, how to make it to eternal life, we have to be utterly dependent on Jesus. We talked about this last week, utterly dependent, not just you know, trying to tap in on Jesus when uh, times are tough or if we need something or, or when times are going really, really, really well, but, but all the time, a, a, a complete, utter, daily dependence on Jesus. I don't know, and I don't mean to start off on, on doom and gloom this morning, but I don't know if anyone else has just been kind of watching the world recently. And I woke up the other day, and, and I don't know why, I felt like God kind of put this word in my brain, but, but there is an unraveling right now. Everything is just coming apart. And it's not just in the Western world, it's in every corner of the globe. And it's interesting when you get into the book of Revelation, there, there will be a literal unraveling of the cosmos that takes place towards the end of time. But I don't think we're seeing that yet, but we're seeing kind of an unraveling of humanity right now. It's very, very interesting and very, very disturbing, quite frankly. But in light of seeing this unraveling, that should make us, who, who know the truth, that should make us even more dependent on a daily basis for Jesus. Jesus, I need you today, like today. You know, you're, you're the lamp for my path. I need, to, I need to be able to see, and I need your help, God. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna do chapter 10, and I've had a lot of people contact me. This is one of their favorite chapters. I hope I do it justice. It is a beautiful chapter. It's an extremely simple chapter, very simple. Jesus tells a, a metaphor, a figure of speech. It's very, very simple for anyone who wants to get it, but if we don't wanna get it, uh, we're, not, we're not gonna get it. So we have to position ourselves to, to hear from the Lord. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We have to intentionally create the space, not only to hear God, but to follow God and to have God work in our lives. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We have to be intentional about our faith. We're not gonna hear God and be able to follow God unless we create that space in our life to hear him and to follow him. That's what we're gonna talk about, okay? All right, and then you guys can leave here, take your moms out to a really, really nice lunch, shower her with gifts, 
clean the house for her, the dishes, right? And so, <laughs> yeah, the greatest gift ever, let, let, let the mom just like sleep for a little bit, right, and just rest, just take some time, do nothing. It's a great gift. Anyways, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in at all the entrances. Everything will be on the screen. If you have a, a Bible, we're in the 10th chapter of the fourth book of the New Testament written by John in the first century. And um, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes and you should have everything ready to rock, okay? So let me pray, we'll dive into this. I think you'll think this chapter is pretty neat. Very simple, I can't say that enough, but, but also very profound, very, very important, okay? Let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, on a serious note, we thank you for all the, not just the moms in this room, Lord, we thank you for all the, all the ladies in this room, God. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we could come into this, in, into this place and, and worship you freely and to study your word freely, God. And as we do this, we just pray that you bless us this morning. God, we pray not only for this church, we pray for every single church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities, Lord. We pray for the wonderful nonprofits we get to partner with, God, especially as we focus on addiction recovery. And we just pray that everything we do this morning, God, as we study, as we worship, as we take communion and respond later after this, we pray that everything we do, that it honors you and um, blesses your kingdom, Lord. We love you. We thank you, we praise you, we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna break it up into small chunks today, okay? So we'll break it into a couple of different sections. Um, let me read a little bit. We'll go back and we will break it down. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling him. Who is they? Well, the they is the religious leaders, the Pharisees. If you haven't been here for the last several chapters, Jesus and the religious leaders, and there's other spectators, common folk, if you will, right, hanging out and they're watching this argument, this discussion going back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders. Last chapter, the conversation was on spiritual blindness. This chapter, Jesus is gonna use a figure of speech about a shepherd, and his sheep. So the sheep pen, this can mean a couple of things, but the first thing that the sheep pen he refers to probably represents is first century Judaism, the religion of the Jewish people, okay? The gatekeeper, or I think of it this way, the one that passes the baton from the Old Testament to the New Testament is, in my opinion, John the Baptist. He's the one that kind of is the transitionary piece between the old way in the new way. And so this gatekeeper, if you will, that kind of opens the door for Jesus, the shepherd, is, is more than likely he's referring to John the Baptist. Could be the Holy Spirit, but it makes more sense for it to be John the Baptist. The shepherd is very easily to, to identify Jesus. And then he says there are thieves and robbers. Who is that? This is any religion, any teaching, any ideology apart from the teachings of Jesus. That's what steals, that's what kills, that's what destroys, that is the thief, that is the robber, okay? So that kind of sets the stage. 
for this analogy, for this figure of speech that Jesus is going to use. Now, the sheep pen can also represent a relationship with God. My wife and I are both from the north. We haven't been around a ton of sheep pens, but I researched some. And in a sheep pen, especially in Jesus's time, there would be one way in and one way out, and then there would be protection all the way around. So if we think of our relationship with God similar to the sheep pen, there's only one way in, one way out, and the sheep pen protects us from wolves, protects us from sheep, or I'm sorry, from thieves, we are the sheep, from predators. And so in order to get to the sheep into the pen, what would happen in Jesus's time is the shepherd would sleep across the threshold. So the only way to get to the sheep, if you're going to try to harm the sheep, you gotta get past the shepherd first. And so this kind of, again, sets the stage for what Jesus is talking about. Now, the thing about this pen, this, this, this relationship with God, that's what the metaphor is, this security is we have to choose to be in that pen. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, they recognize the voice of the shepherd, but they also have to respond to the voice of the shepherd. They have to respond to his direction. And it is only when the sheep identify themselves as followers of the shepherd that they have security, that they feel security. And so again, the analogy is not complicated. Jesus is saying, I am the one that opens the door for the sheep. I'm the one that calls the sheep, but the sheep have to listen. And if the sheep will listen, that's us, by the way, not only will the shepherd lead us, but we get to know the shepherd better. And this is something that I think even a lot in Christianity, we just kind of say things like this in church, but we don't really meditate on things like this. We say things like, we get to know our savior. Hold on a second. So you're saying not only does the architect of the universe know me, I get to know him too? Do you guys ever think about stuff like that? That when you pray, you're talking to the God of the universe? If we have forgotten the magnitude of that, I love you guys, but we need to get our act together and remember how big of a deal this is. We need to remember that this is a, a, this is a very large deal, that we get to have a relationship with the creator of all things. And then he says, they will never follow a stranger. So my sheep will not follow strange voices, if you will. Now, what is the stranger he's referring to? The stranger can refer to any other religion besides Christianity. In the United States, though, it, it, our, our biggest struggle is not with false religions. Our big struggle in the United States, and quite frankly, in the Western world, is a lack of any religion. It is a, there, there are 350 people, roughly, 350 million people, roughly, in the United States. And of those 350 million, right now in the United States, almost a third of those, 100 million, are atheists. They do not associate themselves with any theological belief or idea whatsoever. So the stranger can be false religion. The stranger can be an absence of any religion, any kind of thought process, any kind of temptation other than the teaching and direction of Jesus. So listen, true followers of Jesus, true followers, true followers of Jesus, not only want to hear and follow the instruction of the shepherd, true followers of Jesus take the time to weed out and sort through voices of distraction, voices that are misleading them, voices that if we give too much credence or time to, will put us on a destructive course. 
What am I saying in practical terms? Listen, don't let anyone speak into your life. Do you hear me? Don't let every voice that's on the television tell you what's true and false. There is one barometer of what is true and false, and all things are to be measured against that. That we need to be able to distinguish what is the shepherd's voice and what is a strange voice. Something that is trying to get us off track and take us in a direction that we are not supposed to go. And true followers listen to the voice of God and we reject any voice that tells us anything on the contrary to the voice of God. You guys get this because you're an intelligent group of people. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, on the other hand, they didn't get it. Not because they weren't intelligent, but because they didn't want to get it. Listen, here's something I want you to remember, and if you're new here, this is something really, really good when you're studying the gospel. The one group of people, not the only group, but the biggest group of people who were antagonistic to Jesus and didn't get Jesus were the self-righteous religious folk. You know what this teaches us? Don't be a self-righteous religious person. Those are the ones that don't get Jesus. The Pharisees misunderstood Jesus because their hearts were in the wrong place. Even though they were religious, it was really all about them. And they didn't have the ability to distinguish the voice of God from all the other voices. And the reason why is because when we are self-centered, when we are constantly distracted by the things around us, or when we are apathetic, when it comes to spirituality, if we are just lazy about anything that has to do with the spirit, we will either not hear God or we will misunderstand God and we will be confused by even the most simple biblical truths. We will not get them, okay? All right, let's keep on going. Jesus said again, because they weren't getting it, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I will come in and they will go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have a life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. So as Jesus was telling this, this, this analogy, this figure of speech, a lot of the people who were in the crowd, they would have thought of Psalm 23. A lot of you are probably familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me to green pastures. He brings me to still waters or quiet waters. They would have been thinking about Psalm 23. The thieves and the robbers, Jesus says, before I came along, all the people who came before me were thieves and robbers. Who was he talking about? He was talking about people who said that religious action could get you to heaven that it wasn't by a relationship with God, it was by what we could do, that we could earn our way to heaven. So Jesus was targeting empty religion and he was targeting false teaching as things that detract us or detour us away from a relationship with God. Those things steal from us, they are thieves and they are robbers. 
And so false teaching and empty religion, listen to this, false teaching and empty religion work in alignment with the devil. People get uncomfortable when we talk about the devil in church. We need to talk about the devil sometimes in church. If we believe in God, there is also an adversary, the devil. And so when we, when we are apathetic, when we believe false teaching, when we believe that religion alone will save us, that my works will, will save myself, that works in alignment with the devil. And those things don't bring us closer to God. God gives us life and he gives us life in abundance, freedom, joy, peace, etc. Empty religion and false teaching only leads us to chaos. It leads us to destruction. So the devil's primary goal is to steal, kill, destroy. This is the result of sin. And, and again, please hear me this morning. We need two things to be very firmly rooted in our hearts and in our minds. The first one is this. We must truly believe that Jesus wants the best for us even when the word of God hurts our feelings. Listen, if you're a new believer in here, maybe you're not a believer yet, but you become a believer, you do something crazy, you buy one of these books, you start reading it. So when you read this book, if you've never read this book before and you're wanting to know more about God, I guarantee you, I will, I will bet you everything I have that eventually you will come across something in here that contradicts how you think and act. Now listen, God doesn't put those things in there to hurt your feelings. He, God doesn't put those things in there because he's a dictator. God puts right and wrongs and, and, and tells us to do certain things. The Bible says, Jesus says, I discipline you because I love you. If we are heading towards destruction and Jesus says, no, no, you're doing that wrong, do it this way, we shouldn't be uh, angry about that. We shouldn't be upset about that. We shouldn't be offended by that. We should be grateful for a God that loves us so much that he tells us what is right and tries to get us off what is wrong. And he does that because he wants us to inherit paradise with him forever. He loves us and he wants what's best for us. We, we need to know that, you need to know that. The other thing we need to know is this, any amount of sin causes damage. It causes damage temporarily in this life and it will cause eternal damage if we don't get a grip on it and ask God to forgive us of it and eradicate it in our lives. There is this misconception with a lot of Christians that we can profess Jesus Christ and have some kind of manageable secret sin on the side. And that is a lie. You know what the Bible says in the, in the book of Numbers? Your sin will find you out. Eventually it will cost you. And unfortunately it will cost some people for eternity. We have to know that God wants what's best for us and sin steals, kills, destroys. That is always the outcome of sin in our life. And so Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep, but hired hands, they run away whenever times get tough. Whenever hired hands see opposition or a wolf coming, the hired hands run. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the only person, the only person that, that was willing to die for our salvation, to die for our spiritual protection. And so if we put our hope in things that have not done that, if we put our hope in institutions, if we put our hope in governments, if we put our hope in celebrities, if we put our hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, we are, are putting our hope in humans who, who gravitate towards self-preservation. And if any kind of opposition comes against them, they split because they don't own you like God owns you if we give our lives to him. And they abandon us when opposition 
arises. Now listen, if we put all of our stock into things like the government, and I know Romans chapter 13, I respect the governing authorities, whether I disagree with them or not. I have spoken at the Senate building in, in Nashville before and, and all that, so I'm respectful of that. And the only reason, I shouldn't say the only, 99% of the time when people leave this church is because they don't think I'm political enough. They, 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 they don't think, they want me to take a side. And I do take a side. I don't trust any of them. But anyways, so, so but, but, but I'm, you guys like that. That woke everyone up. Oh, yes. Oh, anyways, so <laughs> here's the thing. We are to be respectful and honoring of the government, but we are not to put our hope in that because if we do, look, all you have to know is human history and no government has ever stood the test of time. No empire has ever stood the test of time. No person has ever conquered death except for one. And that's where our hope needs to lie. He's not a hired hand. Listen, there's nothing in it for Jesus. Do you hear what I just said right there? Jesus having a relationship with Corey does nothing for Jesus. It does everything for me. Jesus is perfect and complete without Corey Tremble. I am not though. My relationship with him, I am the, I am the beneficiary of that relationship. He doesn't need me, I need him, but he wants to be with me. And that's why I put my faith in him. That's why I put my hope in him, because he is the good shepherd. If you don't believe me, look, he says, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> I, know, I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep but I have other sheep who are not in this sheep pen and I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Again, the Jews were divided. That means the religious leaders. Because of these words, many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So five times, look, five times in eight verses, Jesus says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. Five times in eight verses. Why is it important to know this? It's important because that means we can trust Jesus. That means that we can be vulnerable with him. If he was willing to lay his life down, he didn't have to. He says that here in a second. He didn't have to do it, but he wanted to do it. And if we understand that Jesus loves us so much, he would die for our sins, we should be able to be honest with him to be vulnerable with him, to be intimate in our relationship with him because we can trust him that he wants the best for us. How do we grow in that intimacy? Very, very simple. We pray, we read the word of God, we do what the word of God tells us to do. That's it. You pray, you read the word of God because we learn more about God and what he wants from us in the, in the, in the Bible, and then we just do what it tells us to do. This is it. And as we do this, we grow closer and closer, more intimate in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus also said to the Jewish people, Jesus's ministry was almost primarily just to Jewish people. Jesus said, look, there are other sheep outside of this pen and I gotta go get them too. 
I'm gonna bring them in and there's gonna be one, one group of sheep and one shepherd and I've gotta bring them in. He is referring to non-Jews that eventually this message of his would go out to the entire world. And this is very, very interesting and, and very important for us to know because a lot of people in modern day society will say, oh, well, Christianity is racist. It's misogynistic. It's all these things, right? They don't like all these other people except for, for you know, rich white men. That's all that they like. And by the way, none of these people are, are white. Anyways, so it goes into that. But here's what we see in the Bible. God's kingdom equally invites all colors. God's kingdom equally invites both genders. God's kingdom equally invites every ethnic background and social background and and, and level of, of economic background. Everyone is invited into the family of God, but we can't stop there. They are invited into the sheep pen if they listen to the shepherd's voice if they accept the teachings of the shepherd. See, there's a lot of modern day churches that say, look, Jesus said everyone's gonna be in the sheep pen. No, no, no. Everyone who responds to his voice will be in the sheep pen. Everyone is invited, but that does not mean that everyone's going to go to heaven and that everyone's saved. We have to respond to the voice. We have to respond to the gospel and answer that call from God, the good shepherd. So on a, on a side note, and I'm not trying to be mean here, if you come from a more charismatic background, which my wife and I did, a, a very Pentecostal church, sometimes John 14, 12 would be taken way out of context. In John 14, 12, Jesus tells his disciples, you will do even greater things than what I have done. And a lot of modern day churches take that to believe we will do greater miracles than Jesus. And that is absolutely not true. Jesus was crucified, was in the ground for three days, rose again by his own power and, and, and forgave all of the sins of humanity in his resurrection. You're not gonna do a greater miracle than that. I don't care what you say. So it has to mean something else. And what that refers to is Jesus is telling his disciples, you'll do greater things than me. You will take the gospel to the entire globe. I have just done it in this little 200 square mile radius called, called Israel. You will take it out to the entire globe. That is the greater things that he is referring to. He's referring to chapter 10 right here. So at the heart of the Bible is Jesus's willingness to lay down his life for sinful humanity. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He had the right not to do it, but he still chose to do it. Why? Because he loves us. And he wanted to pay for the evil that we had accumulated. The fancy title for this is substitutionary atonement. Basically, we are the ones that should have died for our sin, but Jesus came in as a substitute and Jesus died for our sins. So here's the thing with that. We are not only to be recipients of the substitutionary atonement. Listen, here we go. We are also to be distributors of this to the world around us. So we're not just to receive, we're not, we're not, just, we're not just to receive the fact that Jesus would lay his life down for us. As people filled with the spirit of Jesus, we are also to be willing to lay down our lives so other people can be saved. That's how we as Christians are supposed to be. That's tough, it's very tough, but we are also to act like that. So the more Jesus described himself, this is very important, the more Jesus talked about himself, the more Jesus described his plan for humanity, the more divided the people became. The reason why is, listen, Jesus leaves no ambiguity. He leaves no room for indecision on who he is. 
He leaves. We talked about this last week. Jesus came to be a dividing line. Jesus even says in the Gospel of Matthew, I will separate parents from, from their children. I will separate brothers and their sisters. I, that he comes, and, and, and what he means by that is, Jesus comes to, to establish what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Sorry about you guys over here. What is unrighteous, and he becomes that dividing line. And the word of God leaves no room. It leaves no gray area. It's very clear when it comes to what is right and wrong. So we are forced to choose a side and we are choose to make up our minds. Do I follow the shepherd or do I try to become my own shepherd and do it my way? And we have to make that, that decision and how we make that decision determines identity. Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade, what a good word. The Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In verse 30, very important. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So the festival of dedication, we call this nowadays Hanukkah, right? If you can't remember what that is, Adam Sandler song, right? So it's also, it's also called the Feast of Lights, and there is a tremendous amount of irony about this scene that starts in these verses. So it was winter time, usually Hanukkah falls, uh, mostly in December, sometimes in, in late November. And, and so they're at the, 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 the festival of dedication and he is approached by the religious leaders and they start berating him and questioning him again, trying to verbally trap him. Now the irony is this. <laughs> So the Festival of Lights, or Hanukkah, celebrated uh, kind of the liberation that the Jews had during the Maccabean War, that's one side of it. Another side of one of the things that the Festival of Lights celebrated was they were anticipating the time, listen, when the Messiah, the Savior, would show up, cleanse the temple, and establish the kingdom of God. So Jesus shows up at a massive party that is thrown because they're anticipating the Savior coming and reestablishing the kingdom of God. And they didn't recognize who he was. That is ironic. That is very ironic. The religious people did not see prophecy. The religious people didn't see God right in front of their faces. Why? Because he wasn't clear? Absolutely not. They didn't see him because they didn't want to see him. You can put something right in front of your eyes, but if you push your eyes closed and refuse to open them, you're not gonna see what is right in front of your face. And this is still a problem today. There are so many people, unfortunately, there are even so many professing Christians who will not pick up this book and read what it has to say because they're afraid something in here is going to contradict how they think and how they act. And they don't wanna change. So what we do is we close our eyes real tight we bury our heads in the sand. We hide in the closet and cover ourselves up with blankets, hoping that we will escape 
the inevitable truth. But the problem with the inevitable truth is it is inevitable. And we will be judged by it. Whether we've stayed in willing ignorance or not, we will be held up to the standard of the truth. Even if we chose to never look at it, we're going to be held to that standard, okay? So Jesus defines who the sheep are. This is really, really important. So who are the sheep? Let's replace that word sheep with who are the Christians? Who are the ones following Jesus? And Jesus defines what it means to follow him. These are the ones who choose to hear his voice and do what he tells them to do, follow him. In other words, people who place their entire identity in him. So above all things, above all things, the example of Jesus Christ in the Bible and the words of the Bible should dictate and steer how we live, how we respond to opposition, how we treat other people, how we conduct our marriages, how we raise our children, our work ethic, everything should be steered by the example of Christ and the word of God. That's what should steer how we do virtually everything. And then Jesus goes on to say, my sheep cannot be taken from me. And right now, a lot of people are like, ah, there it is. I can say a prayer when I'm 12 and live however I want. Now listen, I don't say things like this to upset you. Inevitably, people always get upset by this. Because some, because, listen, because some Christians have more allegiance to a denomination than they do the word of God. They do, they do. We're non-denominational, so anyways. Uh, <laughs> but this is why the word is so important because some people say, well, well my great grandpa was a pastor in this denomination. He said, no matter what I do, if I've said this prayer, I'm good forever. Now that may hold up in a certain denominational background, but when you take it up against the words of Jesus, it doesn't hold much water. It's gonna, you know, you can take all your denominational colloquialisms all you want, but if you put them up against the words of Jesus, sometimes they don't hold weight. If we are, listen, truly saved, truly saved, we can say whatever we want, but if we are truly saved, we will be obedient to and have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus makes it clear in chapter eight of the Gospel of John, that my followers continue in my word. And he says, when they do not continue in my word, they are not of me. So Corey, where do you get that? Straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. If we are not living according to the Bible, we are not of God, according to who? According to God. And we cannot inherit, the, the, we cannot inherit eternal life. We cannot expect to, to inherit eternal life when we are living in rebellion to the one who gives us eternal life. But here's the thing. If we are following Jesus Christ, there's nothing that can snatch you out of his hand. If we are living in a relationship with Jesus, the devil himself, every demon in hell, no political power, no amount of money can take that, can thwart your salvation. So yes, Jesus is 100% correct here. Paul is correct when he says it later in Romans. No one can take you out of the Father's hands, but we have to be living in a relationship with Jesus. And then, again, talk about no ambiguity, I get a kick out of the religious leaders who are like, how long are you gonna hold us in suspense? Tell us plainly, who are you? He tells them super plain. He says, I and the Father are one. We're the same. There are many verses that establish the deity of Jesus, but probably none quite as clear as this. Now, this is important. Why is this important? Because there are a lot of people in, in the Western world, in America in particular, who say, yeah, I like Jesus. Jesus was a swell guy. 
He was, you know, he was, he was really progressive when it came to women and equality, and he was really for the poor and the downtrodden, a great teacher. He was all those things, but he was much more. Well, Jesus, Jesus spoke some really revolutionary ideas about government and how we live and think, yep, yeah, he did those things, but he was much more than that, right? He was much more than just an advocate for, for people on the fringe or the downtrodden. He was God in the flesh, God in the flesh. And that is so important to know. We cannot model our lives after God if we don't know who the biblical Jesus is. And we have no right, and quite frankly, it is the height of all arrogance to think we can recreate Jesus in an image that we're more comfortable with, right? We are the creation. He is the creator. It's not the way it works, right? Last part. You guys still with me? Okay, got one more, one more section to go. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called those to whom the word of God came gods and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you who are blaspheming to the one uh, to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? I'll explain that. If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So he departed across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John the Baptist never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. Okay, so for the second time now, Jesus, clear as a bell, says, I'm God, right? He said this a couple of chapters ago. Now, for the second time, they pick up rocks, and they want to kill him for that. Listen, it is not Jesus's actions that eventually gets him crucified. It was Jesus's words that got him crucified. Now, why is this important to know? Because Jesus establishing himself as God means a lot to us. What does it mean? One, it means that Jesus holds all knowledge. Why? Because he's God. We also know that, that in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin. Only one person can forgive the offenses of the rebellion to God, and that is God. In Jesus, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus says, I will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, so it is only in Jesus that we receive the Spirit of God, and that it walks with us and illuminates our path and shows us how to live. And it is also in Jesus that eventually we have eternal victory over death. Guys, quite frankly, in a nutshell, that's, that's almost the gospel right there. That's, that's a pretty good synopsis of the good news right there. And then Jesus says something very, very confusing. The first time I went back and studied this, and I'm like, oh, that's a little hard for me, but, but I, I think I'm making sense of it. Jesus takes Psalm 82 and Exodus 4 and, and kind of mashes them together. And he says something that's been taken way out of context by a lot of people. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. He says, didn't God say that you guys are gods, lowercase g, many gods, basically? 
And people have taken that way out of context to think that, well, yes, even Jesus says that we are gods and, and that's the basis of Satanism if we, if we think that we are deities and among ourselves. That's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant is that God gives God-like authority to people in certain positions. Whether you, you, you like our current president or former president or whatever, regardless of what you think about Joe Biden or Donald Trump or any of those people, they have been given God-given authority to lead a, a very large group of people. And so again, whether we agree with them or whether they even handle that authority well, the Bible says that all authority has been distributed by God. Everyone who's in a position of authority, it's because God has allowed them to be there. And people in authority have certain attributes of God. If you're leading a large group of people, you're doing a very God-like thing, if that, if that makes any sense. Even me, I've been given the position of a shepherd. I'm not the shepherd, but I'm a shepherd. I have God-like authority in the fact that God has given me the ability to teach his word, and you guys are sitting here for some crazy reason, and maybe some of you even consider me your pastor and your shepherd. And, and, and so God distributes that authority. The problem with humans is this, though. A lot of people think that the end is them. There are a lot of people who, who are shepherds, but they're leading people just to them. And any good shepherd does not stop at themselves. A good shepherd is leading you to the good shepherd. Does that make sense? So anyone in authority, not just pastors, bosses, parents, if you're a parent in this room, you are shepherding your children, but in the hopes that they will inevitably follow the ultimate authority, the good shepherd. That's what leaders do. So all of us who have any kind of authority, we have been given this God-like authority from God, but we are to use that to lead people to God. Not ourselves, but to God, okay? That's what Jesus is referring to in that passage. And though Jesus' works backed up his words, the religious leaders still weren't doing it. They still weren't buying it. They didn't believe and they tried to seize him again. I have no idea what this looks like. I don't know if maybe Jesus just you know, slipped out real quick. I don't know if maybe they were temporarily blinded and he could get out of the room. I don't know how Jesus slipped outside of their grasp, but they tried to get him to no avail. He goes to the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist used to do a lot of baptizing, runs into a lot of the people that listened to John, and it says that they believed him. Why did they believe him? Because they were looking for the truth. Why could they see that he was speaking what was right? Because they were listening, because they were looking. They had a desire to know what was right and wrong, and they saw it. <laughs> so let's go back and let's hit some highlights from this lesson. The first one is this, and again, I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings or be divisive or talk bad about any denominations or anything. I swear to you, that's not what I'm trying to do. But there's a lot of people who live in a false sense of security that we can pray one time and live however we choose, and it's just not true. It's not, it's not biblically supported in any way. Jesus makes it clear that real Christians place their identity in him. They live out the word of God, which means, guys, we, we need to read it sometimes. They love other people, and they follow his voice. Now, regardless of where you fall theologically, we can lose our salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Well, if they're not living like it, they never had their salvation. Wherever you fall theologically on this, this blue part still applies. If we are not producing the principles and fruit of the Holy Spirit, there's a problem. I think everyone will agree on that. 
If we are not living out the word of this and we say that we are following Jesus, but we're in no way walking in the direction of Jesus, let's talk logic, you're not following Jesus. This is very easy. I'm going this way, but you're walking this way. No, 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 I'm not. Yes, you are. You know, like, it's very simple stuff. So true salvation also produces an allegiance to Jesus over all things at any cost. We talked about this a little bit last week. We are just now starting to see in the United States that being a follower of Jesus may cost us something. It doesn't cost us anything physically right now. It might in certain places. But it it, it is costing us something socially right now. But look, let me tell you this. I don't think the world's gonna become a less aggressive place. If if the book of Revelation is true, and I believe it to be, we're we're going to keep going further and further down until Jesus inserts himself again, literally. And we need to make sure that our hearts are rooted in him because if they're not rooted in him, we're gonna cave when times get tough. We also need to remember that we have a very game enemy. Like I said, we don't, we don't talk about the devil probably as enough, enough in church as we should. And I don't wanna give the devil credit that, that, that is undue to him, but we need to know that sin and Satan is not for us. So is it possible that, that some of us in this room are not truly convinced that not only sin, but spiritual apathy is destructive? I'm not trying to be mean, but there are probably some of you in this room who, who 90% of the time you're, you're doing the right thing, but we think we can manage this kind of 10% where we look at that stuff we shouldn't look at and we flirt with that dude at work even though we're married and, and we know, you know that we shouldn't be doing that, but we think we can manage it. There's some of us in this room that don't really think that sin has the destructive power that it does, but I'm gonna tell you, it does. There is only one end game when it comes to sin. Let me tell you something about sin. Sin has an insatiable appetite. It is never satisfied. It will destroy you. It will steal joy from you. It will kill marriages. It will kill friendships. It will kill relationships with your children. It will destroy things. And it is so easy nowadays because the allure and the temptation is everywhere. You know what I tell my kids nowadays? You, know, you don't have to go looking for, for evil. Evil is looking for you. You guys know what I'm talking about? I like Facebook Marketplace. I basically hate all social media, but I love Marketplace. I get on there. I look at old cars that I can't afford. I save them all and then later go on. And I'm like, oh, let me delete all these because I can't buy any of them, right? So I'm, I, that's what I do. I love Facebook Marketplace. And as I'm scrolling through Facebook Marketplace, about half of Marketplace now is ads And if you're a male in your mid-40s, half of those ads are very inappropriate ads. So I've become that like Facebook Karen where I report everything, report, report, I'm gonna get them. (laughs) And what I think that has done is I think they just send me more because they know I'm that guy, right? The whole point of that story though is I don't have to Google bad things. Bad things just come to me. They're, They're coming for your children. Your children don't have to go looking for sex. They don't have to go looking for things that are inappropriate. There are whole marketing firms that are targeting your children. They're targeting you. It is coming after you. And it is easy to give in to that stuff. But we have to remember that Satan, sin, and look at the last one, apathy, spiritual laziness, 
leads to destruction. We need to remember that. We need to remember that those things lead to destruction. So we have to ask ourselves this, and we have to be honest in this question. What do you want this morning? What do you want? Do we desire not only to pursue God, listen, do we desire the things of God? Do we, <laughs> the Bible says we should, do we thirst for righteousness? Do we know what that word means? Do we thirst for holiness? Do we thirst for the things of God? Not only do we have a desire for God, but do we have a desire of the things of God? I wanna live more like God. I wanna speak more like God. I wanna look at other people, how God looks at other people. I wanna be righteous. As the Bible says, I wanna be holy like he's holy. Or, or are we in it for us? Not just life as a whole. Man, there are a lot of people who come to this church who they're not really in it for the pursuit of God. They just don't wanna to go to hell. That's a bad reason to come to church. But there are a lot of people who are just in it for themselves. Have we become, have we become, I know we have as a society, but let's be honest about ourselves. Have we become such shallow and myopic people? Most of us don't know what that word means because we don't read books anymore. It means you can only see things that are close to you. Have we become so shallow and myopic that all we do in life is jump from temporary pleasure to, to affirmation, to little emoji, to little heart, to little thumbs up, to, to, to this sexual exploration, to this food? To the, are we just people that jump from temporary pleasure to temporary pleasure, or are we thinking of things beyond that? Do you know what the problem with humanity, especially in, in, in America, do you know what the problem is? We all think that the universe revolves around us. This is why, Pete, now listen, and, and I'm not trying to get on a, it's bigger than what I'm gonna say, but I'm gonna use this as an example. This is why people in Murfreesboro, somehow we've become a magnet for the worst drivers in America. That, that, this is why people in Murfreesboro will drive 55 miles per hour while looking at a phone and listening to the and responding to things because they're so important that they'll put your kids in jeopardy on the way to school. They'll put people all around them in jeopardy that they will risk lives because they are so important that they have to respond to this. Now listen, as far as I know, there's no like Fortune 10 CEOs in Murfreesboro. And even if they are, you're not even that important that you have to answer everything and endanger lives around you. Let me tell you, Christians, don't be those kinds of people. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean that we're a bunch of freak weirdos that hide out in a commune. It means that we are to live countercultural to the world around us. Do not, do not think that the world revolves around you. It doesn't. The universe does not revolve around you. The universe revolves around him, which means I am to be revolving around him. And if I am revolving around him, a part of that revolution is I am also revolving around others, which means I am a servant to humanity as well. He is first, you are second, I come third. And we need to put that deep in our minds, okay? So to navigate this life and to inherit eternal life, what does Jesus say? You are my sheep if you listen and if you respond. If you listen and if you respond. But it is impossible to listen to Jesus if we do not create space for him to be in our life. 
It is impossible. So what do we do? The first thing is this. It is impossible for God to occupy the space in your heart if there's already another God in there. Well, I don't worship any other gods. Any sin that we do is something we are placing in front of God and it has become a God in our life. And we need to ask God to forgive us of that sin and therefore make the room for him to come in. Not only that, if we're going to hear God and, and listen to God and follow his direction, we need to remove some distractions in our life. Nothing wrong with you having social media, watching Netflix or doing these things, but we need to intentionally carve out some time. That means sometimes on the way to work, turn the radio off. That means sometimes we need to get that app off our phone. Sometimes we need to take our calendar out and block off 30 minutes to pray and read the word of God. We need to create that space, remove distractions. And in that space, we need to fill it with prayer. We need to talk to the Lord. We need to read the word of God and we need to meditate. What I mean by meditate right there is we need to think on the things of the Lord. Think on these things, the Bible says, and it lists all these good things. Sometimes we just need to intentionally place our minds in a healthy position. There are so many people who are resentful and aggressive and they covet what other people have and they're entitled and do you know what the antidote of all those things is? Being thankful. I hope someone heard me this morning. That we need to intentionally, even when we feel like life is bad in the most prosperous nation that's ever existed, even when we feel like we, we don't have a lot or we don't have everything we want, Lord, thank you that I have breath in my lungs today. Thank you, God, for my marriage. Thank you for my children. Lord, Thank you, thank you that I have a, a roof over my head. Thank you that I have a car that I can drive. Thank you that I can go and worship freely with brothers and sisters in the faith. Look, hold on, not even for what God's done for me. Thank you, God, that you're just God. Thank you that the architect of the universe would, would care about me and know my name and want to save me. And when I start my day, me, being thankful for everything God is and what he's done for me, it changes. It changes everything else about my day. We need to position ourselves to hear and follow the Lord, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're not a believer but you got questions, or maybe you're a new believer and you have questions. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Rachel is up here. She works with our small groups. If you have any questions for Rachel, she'll do her best to, to answer those questions and talk with you, so please don't be embarrassed or shy, just go up and talk to her. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have prayer requests, anything that you, you, you want us to pray with you about, please don't do it alone. Let us pray with you. And then the last thing is all the way around the room where you see lamps on tables and then the majority of these posts in the middle, you'll see baskets with communion. This is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That reminds us that God loves us so much, that the good shepherd loves us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us, but he resurrected he saved us if we wanna be. So everyone is welcome to take communion, but you have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin.
Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, as we go back out into a very loud, confusing, tempting world, Lord, sometimes, I pray, God, that we will just intentionally create space to, to hear you, to listen to you, to, to follow you, to do what you want us to do. And I pray that in that, God, that we would build a tighter relationship with you and we would know you more, God, and you would continue to bless us and, and change us into more of what you want us to be. God, protect everyone in this room. Keep them safe, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. Thank you again for every mom in this room, Lord, and every lady in this room. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.